Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast Podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. In our last episode, we left Ruth all dolled up and preparing to follow her mother-in-law's instructions in approaching Boaz to be her kinsman-redeemer, referred to in Hebrew as a goel. Christians know that Jesus Christ is our goel, our Boaz, and we, like Ruth and Naomi, are indeed in need of his redeeming strength. It is interesting to consider that while we know the Lord is willing to work with us, in whatever situation we find ourselves, when we go to him in humility, and maybe in our Sunday go-to-meeting best, we are being like Ruth approaching Boaz in the best that she has to offer at the festival of the harvest on the community threshing floor. Now, Reed, let's get back to where we left off. Let's do it. Don't you just love the book of Ruth? Isn't it wonderful Old Testament proof of God's love for us? Let's continue our feast. It was common in those days for the community to have a celebration party after the long weeks of harvest and the heavy work of preparing the grain. 
Celebrations in ancient Israel included drinking wine and enjoying the sense of well-being and merriment that came from the occasion of a successful and bountiful harvest. This was an important time. It was proof of the Lord's husbandly hand watching over the people, and it was proof to many of their faith being rewarded. Many a poor family would run out of grain about the time of the spring harvest. There were no stores in those days to buy seed grain, and it is said that many a Jewish father threw the last of the grain of his family's supply onto the ground while tears flowed down his cheeks, pleading with the Lord not to let his children starve. The merriment felt beneath a pile of new grain was real. God had heard his prayers once again. Wine was a gift for marriage happiness, and since Jehovah was the husband of Israel, a toast on his behalf with songs and dances of joy were like the wedding festival at Sinai anew. It was a happy, happy time. And yet, since there were large piles of valuable grain, and since most of the people were slightly too sinfully drunk, it was very wise to sleep it all off at the base of your pile of grain— just in case the sneaky, sober thieves decided to steal your hard work. Boaz, though an important and wealthy man, had too much sense not to guard his own grain personally. Ruth followed Naomi's plan exactly, but in a slightly different order. It is said that she did not go to the threshing floor all dolled up, as Naomi had counseled. Ruth must have known she had the ability to turn heads. She knew if she went in her finery, she would be noticed, and possibly even by Boaz, which would have ruined their plan. Furthermore, putting on her best clothes and perfume on her way to a party where men had been drinking, in Ruth's mind screamed of one intention, harlotry. Ruth was wise and modest. It is possible that Naomi wanted Ruth to appear like the biggest prize and be only for Boaz although her advice to Ruth was not to let Boaz know she was there. Be that as it may, Ruth altered Naomi's plan. She went in disguise to the threshing floor and scoped out the situation. She did find where Boaz was camped and where he intended to spend the night. After the ruckus had settled for the night, she found a quiet place and slipped into her finery. Ruth 3.6 And she went down unto the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly, and uncovered his feet, and laid her down. Corn is an old English word for any grain kernel. Our modern use of corn, meaning maize, or corn on the cob, came about when maize was brought back to England. It was a new grain, and like the potato, very exciting. People were tired of the same old foods, and these new ones meant new recipes and new sensations. English had no word for maize, and a maize was already something no one wanted to eat, and so the generic word corn became the default word for the last supposed new corn left on earth. The covering of the feet is a euphemism in Hebrew to mean prepare to sleep. Most people do not sleep well if their feet are cold, and so even today it is common, if nothing else, to cover up at least your feet if you want to retire into sleep. Since the retiring for the night is also the most common time and place for adults to engage in sex, the term also came to mean sexual relations, but not necessarily. We will soon see that the not necessarily so was the so in this case. 
And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid, and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In other words, Boaz awoke in the night and was cold. He realized that something was wrong. He should have not been missing his blanket. It was not an easy thing to lose. As he turned to see what had happened to it, he realized he was not lying there alone, after all, but next to a woman. In a moment of panic, he questioned, Who are you? There are those who have suggested that Ruth was sexually propositioning Boaz, but the truth is, she was actually doing something much more aggressive. Ruth was not asking Boaz for sex here in the dirt of the threshing floor. No, she was asking him to marry her. In the darkness, and considering that Boaz had taken a nightcap, he was nervous and uncertain what it meant to find a woman lying near him. He knew the story of Lot from which all Moab sprang. It was known anciently that a drunken man was capable of getting a girl pregnant without his consent. He was in a very vulnerable position until the fog of sleep passed. He knew the scandal alone could be immensely embarrassing to his good name as well. I am sure Boaz checked his conscience, just trying to make certain. Just how drunk was he? Could he have possibly done something? Had he been taken advantage of? And how could he prove that? When he realized that it was Ruth, and when he understood the very Jewish way in which she went about asking him to marry her, he was touched and flattered. He proclaimed in joy. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Boaz had noticed her, how lovely she was, but even more importantly, how virtuous she was. He had seen her around younger men than himself. It is impossible to believe that none of them were not interested in her. But whatever happened, she had always been kind, modest, and respectful to everyone. She was also beautiful, and being a Moabitess, she had asked him to put his wing around her. This was the second part of her uncovering his feet, as Naomi had taught her. Boaz was cold in the night, and Ruth was without a husband. She needed and wanted a man-bird to cover her with his wing. It was a gentle request and very Jewish. In Eastern thinking, a man's skirt was his wing. Even today in Jewish weddings, the groom will take the end of his bride's veil and rest it on his shoulder. Then he will wrap his prayer shawl around her so as to take her under the protection of his wing. All of this is done under a canopy, which is also a wing. But here it is the canopy of Zion and the wing of the Lord. Ruth had opened Boaz's wing at his nest and wanted to come under his care and protection. Here the Hebrew could just as easily have been translated. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of his heap of grain. And Ruth came softly and opened his wing and lay her down like a chick at his feet. And waking, he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Cover me with your wing, for we are family. Hold that thought, 
We are not done with this eastern gem, but we'll come back to it before we are finished. Now, all great stories have some drama, and it is here that we get our first twist, our stumbling block to boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl for happily ever after Disney princess ending, eventually. Having met her, Boaz wanted her, and so true to Hollywood romance, he is about to lose the girl. The same law that allowed Boaz to marry the widow of his kinsman and redeem the land for Naomi had a catch. Anciently, it was not a pell-mell scramble to get your brother's wife for all the wrong reasons. No. Legally, the man who was closest in bloodline was given the first opportunity. This was in keeping with the concept of raising up children and inheritance to your brother. And it also kept the woman from being simply a commodity. Despite all the feministic propaganda about women in the past, many of ancient Israel's laws were before their time in terms of fairness but we would expect nothing less of the great Jehovah, who has only atoning love for his sisters. Boaz gives Ruth the bad news. Ruth 3.12 And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. If they are going to live by the laws of Israel, then they are going to die by them. Boaz tells her that officially there is another man who rightfully has the kinsman's claim to her and Naomi. As a Goel, Boaz is willing, but he is not legally able. However, that doesn't mean he can't try a few male wiles of his own. He tells Ruth, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. It is all going to be okay, in other words. When you say something will be so as the Lord liveth, you better make it happen. You have taken a vow in the name of the Lord, and it is one of the big ten not to use the Lord's name without purpose, we would say taking his name in vain. Boaz tells her that if her dead husband's closest relative wants to do his legal part, let's let him. But don't worry, if he says no, my answer is already yes. Ruth and Naomi are going to be okay. But the wonderful Hollywood twist here is that we the readers don't want Ruth and Naomi to just be okay. We are rooting for Boaz to get Ruth. We want them to live happily ever after. We want the slipper to fit. We want that magic kiss. We want that promise true love conquers all. Boaz's genuine manhood is seen here again in his instruction. He doesn't want her to leave in the night nor shiver to death in the cold. He invites her to stay with him until just before daylight. He does suggest that in order to safeguard their mutually spotless reputation, it would be best to have her leave quietly before any rumors fly about them being alone together. It is a fascinating contrast to King David, who broke all our inner Jewish hearts with one night's bad decision. Oh, that David had been more like his father Boaz when he awoke and found the beautiful Bathsheba beneath his window. Ruth, having almost got her man, once again allowed him to lead out. We read, And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he counted six grains of barley, and gave them to her, and she went into the city. Jews have a rich and beautiful culture. Since Ruth is being very Jewish in her request, Boaz responds back in a very Jewish way. 
Latter-day Saints can appreciate the Lord's use of veils in terms of privacy, intimacy, and holiness. It is a veil that guards the sacred from the profane. The veil in God's temples, from Solomon's to the present, serve the purpose of hiding the face of the Most Holy Groom from all but His chosen bride. It is God's intention to share with His bride the power of His most intimate ways, the very secret of all godhood. To the Father, these secrets are as sacred as the intimate knowledge shared between husband and wife at their most vulnerable joining. Such a moment must be handled with care. It is the same with God. He himself has said so, for God will not be mocked. Into this intimate veil, Boaz places six kernels of grain. The scriptures say six measures, but the rabbis say this is a misreading. They have joked that even a Viking woman could not carry six measures of grain. The clue here is that these six measures were not for Ruth, but for Naomi. He says so specifically, give these to your mother-in-law. Six large measures of grain would have met nothing but a big smile and a thank you, assuming Ruth could have even carried them in a veil. Oh, that's right. No, he gave her six kernels of clean grain from his pile. And there was a very good reason. Stay with me. The point is that Boaz is being Jewish, and he wants to show Naomi that he admires the Jewish way that she and Ruth were going about their womanly wiles. Boaz is a good Jewish man. Jewish tradition says that there had been gossip in the community about Naomi's destitute return. Elimelech, her husband, had left the nation in their time of need. It is said that they left in luxury in covered wagons with their wealth. He had married his Jewish princes, off to non-Jewish women, to raise his seed in the ways of Moab. It was whispered about that the Lord had punished Naomi by killing off the males who should have been better in their Jewish duties. They should have protected her. They should have protected the Lord's good name before the nations. These men had not been good examples, and Naomi had walked back home in rags. Plus, she had returned with an idol-worshipping Gentile for a daughter-in-law, too. They gossiped that this showed that the Lord was fair and just. Joseph Smith taught the sisters of the church that they needed to stop gossiping. He also told them that they needed to be kinder to their husbands after work as well. He told the Relief Society that these were natural faults of women, and so they needed to be on guard against them. Women have the power to do so much good, if they will choose to do it and leave the petty things behind. Boaz had observed Ruth closely and knew she was more Jewish in her heart than many of his own people, but he was also trying to avoid all the wild tongues of his community. He knew that one wild rumor could undo a lifetime of honest living. In this he was protecting Ruth, as well as himself. Israelite boys and girls were taught to read and write early on. They knew the law and the stories of their people. One of these cultural languages was the symbolic meaning of numbers. The scripture records that Boaz purposefully gave Ruth six kernels, not five, not seven, but six. He made a specific point of this. They were a code to her and Naomi, and they had to be recognizably six. Why? Here's a chance for you to practice some Eastern thinking and some Jewish thinking. Proof of what I'm going to tell you is found in Naomi. Watch what happens. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six grains of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said Naomi, 
Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Okay, any thoughts? Did you see the clues? Give it an honest try before moving on. enough time? Probably not. That's okay. Let's see how well you did. Every Israelite knew that God made the earth in six measures, which he called days, and that they were good. These were the days of his labor. On the sixth day, God made man, male and female, and placed them in the Garden of Eden, telling them to be fruitful and multiply, to be and make a family. In token, men labor on the earth for six days of the week and take a rest on the seventh. This rest is at the nest with his wife. Ancient Jews believed that nothing made the Sabbath day more joyful than marriage sex after church. When possible, it was the raisins in the challah bread, the perfect pinnacle to a special day of rest. In fact, many Jewish women put into their marriage contract that sex was required on the Sabbath day. Naomi had been Jewish to Boaz in her request proof that she had either repented of her old ways or had never forgotten them despite her dead husband's abandonment to the family. Boaz respected this, and so he answered Naomi culturally. Ruth was told to say, These six measures are for your mother-in-law. Do not go back empty to her without a token of my manly labor. Do you see it? Naomi saw the six grains and said, You be at rest, Ruth. Be as a seventh day, because the man, like God, will not stop, will not rest, will not take a day of rest, until he has done his labors in this thing. If he had given Naomi seven grains, he would have been saying, I'm at peace with things as they are. I have no intention of working on your behalf to change anything. Instead, he had told Ruth he would redeem them both, and Naomi, and he would not stop doing that until it was done. This is why the rabbis are right. It had to be six single grains, or there would have been no way for Naomi to have understood the Jewish thinking of it so clearly. And don't you just love the insight that we have into our own Boaz, Jesus Christ? He will not stop working for our redemption until he has us at rest with him on the great millennial day, the seventh kernel or period of the week the Father has given us to prepare to meet him again. Don't you just love Eastern thinking? You know, I am really loving Eastern thinking. This series has really helped me come to understand the truth behind Nephi's words, that much of the Lord's dealings anciently can only be correctly understood through an Israeli Eastern mindset. It is a rich tool in this series, and I know that I'll never be able to read these books the same way again. There is one more chapter in the book of Ruth that we need to explore as well as our author's contention that the moral of Ruth is also about the ancient concept of being an under-shepherd or under-savior on Mount Zion. 
But we are out of time for this episode, and we hope that you will join us again soon for our next Gospel Feast together. And as always, this podcast is not sponsored or endorsed by any denomination. These are our thoughts and ours alone. Thank you, and until our next podcast, may the Lord Jesus Christ be with you.